Are the rumours true that this is out with the flooring porter betting syndicate that we were... They're trying to, to hide the money here, Will. That's what yeah. they're trying to do now. I can either <laughs> confirm nor deny that. <laughs> Subscribe to the Hurling Pod feed on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Keen Tracy, the Irish Independent, is with us in studio. Keen, you're very welcome. How are you? Morning, lads. How are you? Uh, we've asked you to give us some idea of what we should be watching this weekend in the Champions Cup. But before we do that, you've actually been covering the women's Six Nations for the last couple of weeks. Um, it's tricky. It's tricky from an Ireland perspective because we are all trying to give the team an opportunity and an even break and an opportunity to, you know, bed in this new culture, the new playing group, the new coaching tickets. But the results have been poor so far and we could be facing a long period of poor results before we start seeing any uptake we could but that's why I think this week this Sunday against Italy is absolutely massive um, I suppose like the two defeats have been disappointing but they've both been against professional outfits um, albeit Wales have only recently changed and I don't think there was any shame in losing to, to France away from home no Irish women's team has ever beaten France on French soil but I think it was the manner of the defeat like 27 handling errors 44% success rate after line-out, 60 after scrum. So they're deep-rooted issues, but I don't think we should be surprised, really, that th- this is happening. Um, I, I suppose the women's game has been neglected for so long, and the chickens are probably coming home to roost now. So, unfortunately, there is going to have to be a bit of pain before this team get back on track. But, like I said, if they don't beat Italy this weekend, they're staring down the, the barrel of a wooden spoon. And for all that, you know, we do need to have patience, and it will be a long-term plan still got to get some performances and a couple of results along the way so yeah it's massive this weekend Jer. how long how long does this something like this take because it, it is a, a proper reboot of something that was as you said neglected I personally think it's going to take at least a couple of years um, I mean not making a World Cup when when so few nations are competitive enough to, to, to qualify for it in the first place is just such a massive blow Um I think you're seeing it in terms of the depth or the lack of depth. Like, so, for example, the first day against Wales, there was three unused replacements, which is unheard of um, in the modern game. Last weekend, despite the fact that the scrum was being absolutely dismantled, you had Linda Zhu Gang, who's obviously a star and one of, one of Ireland's strongest players, but for the second week in a row, she played 80 minutes. And it's actually like a conversation I was having with you guys, I remember a few weeks ago, when Andy Farrell basically had Tyg Furlong and Andrew Porter go almost a full 80 minutes in Paris. So there's kind of parallels between the men's teams. So, um, but one of the props, Chloe Pierce, didn't get on in France either. So look, there's, there's deep-rooted issues. And because they've so little game time on the training pitch to, to get things right, um, you can't just suddenly expect the scrum and the line-out to, to be better this weekend. So it's such a tricky balance because they won't go into camp until Thursday and they're playing on Sunday so you compare that to, to the men or even to the likes of France, England and Wales who have been in camp all week preparing for their game it's yeah. just it's so tricky Yeah they're, they're in work today and mm. yesterday or in college doing stuff so it is, it is very difficult we'll come back to that obviously and we have a full uh, preview show later on this week um, to preview that game to look back on the France game as well Let's talk a little bit more about um, the Munster Lancer fallout because we were talking about the Champions Cup games worth watching this weekend and um, obviously we'll keep a very close eye on these. What, what, where are Munster at the moment? Because uh, Alan Quinn was unwilling to press the, the panic button yesterday when, when we were talking to him but I'm not sure. I kind of feel like it is, it's getting pretty close to it. 
Yeah, like I think the one thing you'd say is, and, and, and first of all, I think it's it's really important for any discussion around the the game last weekend is to acknowledge how good Leinster were. I mean, I thought at times it was like watching Ireland, not just the personnel that were involved, but also the slickness in in their backline move. So I think it's important to, to state that. But I just can't get away from the fact that Munster wanted Johan van Grand to stay on and he would be staying on if he didn't have his head turned by a bucket a bucket load of cash from Bath I I just think that's so damning uh, to the organization as a whole I think it's interesting um I would say like I obviously have a lot of friends and family who go to monster matches every week uh, from back home and like they've been disillusioned for a long time but I think there's been like a cohort of I would say monster fans online who are would have quite strong voices in the social media sphere but I think they've like you know stayed patient stayed patient but I think that is starting to turn now as well and you can see it in the attendances and like like personally I'm so fed up of hearing the same old excuses that oh there's confirmations on there's communions on that's what it was before I heard that mentioned again last weekend uh, I know Covid has an issue in the GA clashes and stuff but Munster's attendances in big games hasn't been the same as what it was back certainly when, when I was going to games like I remember days when you wouldn't get a ticket for, let's say, like a big English team coming to town as Exeter are in two weeks. You just wouldn't be able to get a ticket. Like there was times where you had to be queuing overnight in in the streets of Limerick to a Ticketmaster to get tickets. Like now we know the glory days are so far away, but so far removed from where they are now. But it's the fall from there to where they are now. Like to not be able to sell out a Leinster game or even come close to it. Like I, I just think is so disappointing and. How can you expect, and I'm not having a go at Munster fans, by the way, here, because how can you expect supporters to pay their hard-earned money to go watch a team who are, they're not good to watch, let's face it. I did think they tried to play a little bit more uh, against Leinster, but when they, they did try to do that, the, the golf was almost shown to be as big, if not as bigger than it ever has been. So there's, there's serious, massive issues. I... I, I also can't believe that they haven't announced their head coach yet. Um, like they've known for so long, and I, and I know the IRFU and David Nusifora—they're the ones who are you know in charge of this appointment. But well, not they, they always get stuff so right as well. I mean, I'm delighted that uh, you know the the uh, massive investment that we've made in Nusifora and, and all that part—that he's the one charged with making this decision. But the, and the point is, like it. It looks like Graham Rowntree will be the new Munster head coach. And that, that might be the right thing, you know. But like, it might it, not be. But th- this is my point. So when Johan van Graan got appointed, he was a relative rookie, but he had never been a head coach. Now, I know Graham Rowntree has savage experience with the Lions, with England, with Munster, and he's hugely well-regarded in Munster. The players really like him. They love playing for him. But he's never been a head coach. So it's a risk. I, I, I think it's a risk for him to be the new head coach, albeit it's a calculated risk and it's probably one worth taking, but there's just no plan in place. Like, they're signing players, they've, they've signed Malachi Fekatoa. Like, if Graham Rountree is going to be the new head coach, he's not an attack coach. So, like, who is making these signings and who's to say the attack coach that comes in doesn't really fancy Fekatoa? Now, he's world-class, like, he will be a brilliant signing, but... It's it's just all so muddled. I think got a worrying injury down. profile. Like he does, it's no, you know, there's no point in. But but who who, who is saying that Malachi Fekatoa is going to fit how Munster want to play next week? Because he's a very different type of player to Damien Dialende. So do we, I, do we know who the backroom team might include? Has there been any suggestion about what might be around? Like is Mike Prendergast 
I don't think so. I mean, unless it's going to be a serious curveball, I don't think Mike Prendergast is going to be involved. I th- like he's still under contract at Racing. Uh, he's got a very good job there. He's working with world class players. He's got a young family. They're well settled. Like life in Paris. Like I mean, you know, there's worse places in the world to be. But my my sense is that his head could have been turned. But I just don't know how hard Munster went after him back when it became clear that there was a position there um, I think like if you want to go get a coach who's, who's coaching one of the best back one of the best attacks in, in the world and in Europe you got to go after him make him a deal that you know to turn his head to come home and I, I don't know is the honest answer if they did that so I don't know the one name that keeps popping up is Milton Haig um, who worked with Graham Rountree at Georgia before um, to come in possibly as a director of rugby but it's it's strange because normally you know you'd through the grapevine you'd be hearing stuff but like it's just all very quiet and I genuinely don't know if there is a, a backroom team in place already and when you think about how close we are to the end of the season now that is worrying so to get back to your original point I think that feeds into from the top down, like the malaise that we're, we're seeing in Munster. And yeah, like you, you talk about the women, it might get worse. Like if you look at Munster's fixtures over the next couple of weeks and the injuries that they have, it might get worse. It's kind of mad that this season actually had that win against Wasps with the kids and Ian Costello in charge. And that, that thing actually happened this season when it felt like an all-time, not an all-time, a, a kind of a, maybe a three or four year high in terms of expectation and hope for the future. Absolutely. And like you look at the young players who came off the bench against Leinster at the weekend, they're the ones who were really driving it and trying to change it. And I know like Johan van Graan has given young players their chance in the last, we'll say, year, but a lot of that has been down to COVID. Um, there was an issue at the start where he kept going back to the tried and trusted players. And I think, you know, COVID helped in that regard because, you know, certain players were missing at different times. So he had to play the young players. But you look at someone like Alex Kendellen, who came off the bench at the weekend. Like, I thought he was outstanding. Now, compare that to the impact and absolutely zero impact that someone like Chris Kalita made on the game and that guy is leaving at the end of the season Look, going to bat Munster don't want to keep him so he's been the biggest opportunity blocker for young back rowers in Munster and he has been mediocre at best like I've no idea what the thought process behind signing him or bringing him to the club was I'm sure he's a very nice fella and I'm sure he bought into the Munster vibes and I'm sure he was an excellent teammate but what is the strategy behind signing mediocre players who the, so he was Irish qualified after his five years here, right? Or maybe it was three, three years yeah, when, yeah. when he signed. Mm-hmm. But what's the point? We don't want them. We don't. We don't. We don't need mediocre back rowers. We have plenty. We have plenty of world class back rowers, and we have plenty of mediocre back rowers. It made no sense. Like for me, their their signing policy is a scattergun like Manchester United. Let's let's sign some superstars and let's sign a bunch of players. And it, it so happened that a bunch of those players were South African because the coach and the previous coach or previous director of rugby were South African. But what was the strategy behind it? What were they trying to achieve? I can't answer that. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think it said so much that when like Chris Clute, you know, became Irish qualified... I don't think there was a single person in the country saying that this guy should be in the squad. And, you know, if you're going to be cynical about it, when he was brought over, it was with the intention of capping him because that was what the, the Project Player rule is for. So, look, I, like, I just think it's really frustrating when you see... it. Like, fair enough, if he's going to come in for the big games like last weekend and make an impact. But, like, like Leinster just looked at him and said, we're just going to demolish him. He doesn't really offer a whole pile around a few breakdown steals in each game. And at that, he concedes an awful amount of penalties. So I just compare that to someone like Alex Kendellen, who's grown up, you know, as a monster fella. You know, he's captained the Ireland under-20s. I know he's still young and they have to mind him, but 
I just think the future is now for all these guys. You look at Craig Casey coming on. You look at Ben Healy, like Thomas O'Hearn. Like, Cluedo was getting in ahead of Jack O'Donoghue at times over the last five years. That he, made no sense. He was, he was. And it's like, like I said, it's, it's really, really frustrating. But they, Munster have, I think Munster have been given, like, they've been so lucky, not so lucky, but I think COVID has papered over the cracks in, in terms of the, this management team weren't trusting young players for a long, long time. And I know for a fact that that was causing a lot of the players down there real disappointment that they weren't getting the chances because they felt like as soon as the, the, the frontliners came back from international camp, they were rolling back into the team no matter how well they were playing. And you compare that to, to what Leinster do and what Leo Cullen does. And, you know, Munster fans are probably frustrated to compare themselves to Leinster but you have to do that you know you have to do that but Leinster always get the balance right and we saw that again last Saturday they didn't even start their front five and their pack still monstered Munster so I think like Leinster always get the balance right between rewarding players who have been keeping the show on the road during the international windows and then easing the the, the big guns back which we'll see again this weekend with the likes of Johnny Sexton coming back so um, it's really frustrating but I think like the, the one note of optimism I would have about Munster is I do truly believe that there is a seriously talented young crop of players there. Well, it just needs the yeah. next head coach to trust them now and not in another two years to say, oh, Craig Casey, you know, when Conor Murray retires. These guys are putting the pressure on now and they deserve to be rewarded. If they had been beaten out the gate, and I, it might have been interesting to see what would have happened if Foss hadn't been uh, riddled with COVID, but um, if they'd been beaten out the gate and the kids have been completely incapable, they weren't. That was the thing. Like, I. You, do you know what I like this way? The academy well? is clearly really, really well run. They're, mm. they're very good at, at getting players to get to that level and then they hit this brick wall of, of mediocrity that is preventing them from playing and, and getting game time and experience. And the academy, the academy point is a really good one, Jared, because like, it's been poor over the last few years and there's a lot of work still to do, but like someone like Ian Costello coming back, that's why I'm so glad that, I, as far as I'm aware, he's not and has never been in the running to, to be one of the coaches on the Munster senior backroom team because particularly like Owen, you mentioned the Wasps game, Around that, there would have been a lot of talk. Oh, you know, because they played such brilliant rugby that day. Like, why not get Ian Costello in as a tack coach? But his role is so important in aligning. Like the AIL has been, you know, disregarded as well across the country. But like that has always been such a bedrock of Munster's success. So I think someone like Ian Costello coming back has a really important role to play in terms of aligning the Munster system from from the top down. And just one quick point on the the young lads. I thought it was really interesting. Like um, like I was over in France watching the match kind of on my phone on the go, and then I watched it back when when I got home on Sunday. But the lack of kind of flash points in the first half for Munster Leinster derby, I just thought it was like crazy like you know Leinster coming down into Tone Park you always get one or two and actually the two I think it was only two that happened in the second half Bo came from two of the younger Munster players Thomas O'Hearn was involved in one Finney Witcherty. like I'm not saying that you know you need to make a scrap but like they were the ones who were bringing the fight to Leinster had no regard for the reputation so um, I just think we need to see more of them now coming through over, from now until the end of the season because it's all well and good saying the future but what if the future is now 100%. Okay, let's talk briefly about the Exeter team that they're going to face. Um, I think the worst case scenario is coming through for the injury perspective from a Munster perspective uh, so far anyway. There's, mm. there's some hope that um, Zebo might be back and Michaeli might be back and, and uh, you know that would definitely help and John Klein, I think. But the rest of them that they were kind of iffy about, it looks like it's bad news. Tygburn in particular um, probably won't make either of these two games 
what kind of an Exeter team are they going to face? Rejuvenated. They're definitely not the, the team they were, but they've strung a few results together in the last few weeks. You know, that has them right back in contention in, in the Premiership. Look, you know what you're going to get from Exeter. Unbelievably tough, physical pack. They're going to look to, to take the game to Munster, which in the, the style of play that Johan van Gran has been playing over the last while, like it'll be interesting to see if Munster opt to go toe-to-toe with that. But, you know, you, you, you touched on the players, Jared, that they're missing. Like you take Dave Kilcoyne, Tyg Byrne and Gavin Coombs out of that pack. Now, any team would be weakened by missing them. So I don't know if Munster, like, have they got it within them to go toe-to-toe with that physical battle or will they be brave enough to mix it up? Like, I thought it was interesting to see Joey Carberry going to, to full back again uh, at the weekend. You know, it's something that Ireland have done twice in, in recent months as well. So I personally, I'd be surprised if we saw Joey Carberry starting at full back. But I think that's a discussion that isn't going to go away anytime soon. You have like the, the Ireland kind of situation lingering in the background because he's clearly Johnny Sexton's number two. So I would like to see Munster play with a bit more ambition and try and stretch the extra defence. But like I said, they did that against Leinster and Leinster still managed to pick them apart. I thought the skill level between Leinster and Munster was just like frightening in terms of the difference. Um, you think back to... I think a lot of times Munster have come up short. It's been that the skill level of the forwards just hasn't been on the same level. And like to be fair now, I know Leinster had the starting Ireland back row and they were all outstanding, particularly Caelan Doris. But that front five is likely to be entirely changed for the Connacht game on Friday night. So you can't say that that was a full a full choice Leinster, Leinster pack. So, But even in terms of the, the back line, I just, in, in terms of Munster, you compare Leinster's slick moves and Munster just don't have that... That cohesion and that, you know, that firepower in terms of starter plays, like I said, it was like watching Ireland at times. So, again, I don't know, do Munster have it within them then to play that expansive game in Exeter either? So, look, I think it's going to be a very tough game um, missing, missing those key players. And I know the second, like the two-legged thing kind of adds a different kind of dynamic to it. But, like, they've got Ulster coming up after that as well. So, it's a really, really tough run of form. We've got Keith Wood in studio tomorrow. So, we'll get into more detail around what needs to happen with regards to Munster in the short term and in the, the medium to long term as well. Let's talk a bit about Connacht and Leinster. How do you make the case for a Connacht win? You'd be a bit concerned that maybe this this could be a train wreck. Yeah. Um, I was actually, when I was in waiting at the gate to go to Toulouse on Friday, the Connacht squad were in the, the gate next to me going to Treviso and I was chatting to a couple of them and I wouldn't say like there was a nervous tension, but like there was a serious realization that they had to win last weekend, and they did. But but it wasn't it wasn't all that convincing, and they made tough work for themselves. Like Connacht's defense has been a real issue for them this season, and like I said, you look at how slick that Leinster attack was, and you're going to probably see Johnny Sexton coming back into the team this weekend as well. Um, so it it is very hard to make the case. I'm not a big fan. I don't know what you lads think. Like I'm not a big fan of the, the two legged um the two legged affairs that we're going to see over the next couple of weeks. Like I just hate the, the tinkering with the Champions Cup in general. I just maybe for a final where you know the two teams in it are going to be relatively equally matched. Apart from yeah. that year that uh, Leicester played Ulster, but like yeah, I'm just a, I'm a traditionalist and I hate the tinkering that they've done. Even the pool stages have been rubbish in my opinion. They're so hard to follow. Uh, the sooner, like if it ever does go back to the normal format, the better. But 
I think the two-legged the two-legged ties give a serious disadvantage to the likes of Connacht, who are definitely capable. I think of springing an upset against Leinster in a once-off game, particularly at the sports ground. But you think over two legs like Leinster, yeah, it, it could be it could be a, if Leinster, if Connacht don't get it right and don't keep um, don't keep within touch. I think in the first leg, it could be over aggregated. I think it could be yeah, a really big score. You think about that Ulster Leinster game, Dave, in 2019. Uh, like had that been a second leg, like that, that's kind of like a magical moment because Ulster came so close. But if the, if there was a second eighty minutes going down the line, you would have been like, ah, well, what's what's the point here? I mean, there's there's probably every chance that Leinster will kind of blow them away in the, the second leg. It's probably going to be one of those that they do this year, and that's it. Uh, I mean, of, like maybe we're being too negative. Maybe maybe there's going to be like some incredible second leg ties here. But like Leinster have been flaky in the first fifteen minutes in big quarterfinals where they've the ball has been bouncing back off an upright, and it's mm-hmm. like suddenly they're fourteen points down. And Which turned, is why you wanted to be only one leg. Well, they've turned. Well, they've turned. It, they've turned it into interesting games by, and then you realise that they're or they blow a team out in the semi final. Yeah. So maybe maybe that's it. Maybe a little bit of complacency seeps into this Leinster team. Yeah, and they, they like Leinster still have issues, lads, as well. Like I mean, it, the fact they're signing Jason Jenkins, you know, and Charlie Natoy next season, like two physical players. Like they're so. I still think they're so hung up on the physical gap that the, like the likes of Saracens and La Rochelle last season told them or showed. So. The problem is I don't the Connacht absolutely don't have that firepower to expose whatever flaws might be within the, the Leinster team. So um I don't I think it's until you get to the latter stages that Leinster will be really tested because like I said, they haven't quite addressed the power gap that they clearly see they have within their team. Uh talk to us about Charlie Natoy. Yeah, so he's a, a former All Black uh, who's been playing for Leon for the last few seasons. So it looks like he's going to be signing. He's a centre. Um, a strange signing. I, like as as much as I, I I can see why Leinster are signing Jason Jenkins, but like I also. I'm, I'm struggling with it at the same time like two, two parts of my mind but Charlie Natoy is a, is a 12 who can play 13 so he's obviously coming in as backup to, to Robbie Henshaw and Gary Ringrose I don't think Robbie Henshaw's um, new contract has been announced yet so I think a few Leinster fans were panicking when they saw that Charlie Natoy was on his way to, to Leinster that maybe Robbie Henshaw was off but I don't think that's the case at all so yeah like it, it's, a str- it's a strange I mean like you think back to Leinster's like uh, overseas signings over the last few years they've been kind of you know, grizzled veterans who have been kind of proven stars. Now, Charlie Natoy was obviously capped by the All Blacks a few times, but like has been in France for the last few years, playing with Lyon, not exactly one of the top teams. So it'll be interesting to see how he fits in. But they've they've gone after those Antipodean centres over the last couple of years, and many of them have come in and played sporadically, but never in the big games. And, and Charlie Natoy isn't going to play in the big games you would assume unless Robbie Henshaw is injured but then what does that mean for someone like Kieran Frawley who like is like I would say one of the most exciting young players in the country so um, yeah like it's, it's I, I would say it's, it's a strange signing I think if you're bringing in um, like someone like a D- Damien Dialende who is going to be like a guaranteed starter and like proven world class I think you know you can understand it so and also Charlie Natoy you know you mentioned Malachi Fekitoa having his injuries uh, Natoy like had a series of concussions um, a couple of years ago that I remember kept him out kept him out of the game for a long time as well so um, yeah Leinster are signing two guys next season Jason Jenkins who's obviously 
hardly played this season for Munster. I know he played against Leinster, started last week, and Natai, who has also had his injury problems. So probably a bit of risk in, in both of those signings too, you'd have to say. Um, the Toulouse-Ulster game, Ulster obviously on the way back from their mini-tour to South Africa. They're not in bad stead, considering mm. what happened. Um, you know, they, they, have, they come away having put in a really good performance and an OK performance and nursing some grievances. But having bonded a lot of those young players, and uh, I, th- I don't know, I think uh, there's a, a lot happening to be excited about from an Ulster perspective at the moment. There is. Um, as... Eddie O'Sullivan would say I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid on, on Ulster just yet though I don't know I still think I'd be surprised if they get through to loose over two legs I still think their front five has has big issues um, lack of power um, particularly in the depth once you go down the depth chart guys coming off the bench and I think that'll be shown up um, but they're definitely building something I think Dan McFarland has done a really good job and crucially their academy now is starting to produce players even you look at the Ireland under 20 success recently they had uh, Ruben Crothers who was the captain Jude Postlewaite in the centre like two guys who looked to have a really bright future ahead of them and you know it was interesting being in Toulouse last weekend lads I was so tempted I was really hoping that my boss might ask me to stay there for the week and just cover the Ulster game this weekend because it's not a bad place to be but like rugby is just such I had actually never been in Toulouse I'd passed through it before a few weeks ago actually to get to cast when once we were playing over there but it's such a rugby city it reminds me of Limerick um, in a way like a few years ago when, when Munster were, the, the times actually ironically enough when I was talking about people were queuing on the streets overnight to get tickets Munster had like a superstore uh, shop in the middle of town on O'Connell Street and it was great Like, but Toulouse have one of them in the in the centre now and even I was thinking like for all of like Leinster's success I, I don't know have they ever had one certainly I don't think they have one now in Dublin or anywhere so uh, rugby is just such a religion over there like even the fir- one of the first things I spotted after the taxi dropped me off from the airport was um a poster on a shop window advertising the Ulster game next weekend so uh, like a big crowd came out for the women's game last weekend so I'd say the atmosphere over in Toulouse this weekend is going to be incredible so but I think it's a massive test for Ulster and like I said they're coming back from South Africa I think they will have gotten a lot out of it but uh, I still think they're, they're, they're a little bit short in, in the power stakes and, and obviously Toulouse have so many of the, the French Grand Slam winning team as well so they're a serious outfit yeah, I don't know if you did see DuPont's uh, bit of excellence at the weekend as well it was just magic anyone who hasn't seen it should, should look it up just just typified how absolutely sensational he is this is uh, I, I, the, the clip popped up on my Twitter feed of, um, and I was like oh that was pretty good from DuPont but actually it's not the first thing he does which is like mm. a 60 yard break from the base of the scrum he gets absolutely smashed and he's at the bottom of a rook kind of he kind of you know slowly getting up kind of looking like he's a little bit out of it but actually what he's doing is surveying the field and then phew, Pings this kick. That's the one you're talking about, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, just, just absolutely crazy. He's like it's a, ludicrous. He's like another back row playing, and then, like you said, he looks like you know he might need to catch his breath here, and then all of a sudden he has this peripheral vision and not just sees the the crossfield kick, but also just inch perfect. Like he's just magic. So Ulster will have a job in his hands to to keep him quiet. The uh, off the ball Twitter account asks: Is there a better sports person in the world right now than Antoine Dupont? After that, yeah, and after his GQ kind of sensation with his yellow kind of yeah. dressing gown, or oh, I missed this. Oh, did really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's another thing you should look up. Yeah, he was on the front, the front cover uh, of it, wearing like what you call. Well, if he was in South Dublin, that they might call it a dry robe. A dry robe. Yeah, that's dry our robe. that's our only hope here, isn't it? That like the absolute 
French success goes to his head that he becomes like a megastar yeah, and I'd, 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 be, I'd be very interested to see how the French kind of, like, you know, the rugby kind of people see that because I, I think Atoje is a bit of the same, but I think rugby, as a, not to go down a rabbit hole here, but I think rugby really needs to promote its stars, like its world stars. It doesn't do enough to, to do that at all. And right now, yeah, DuPont is just... The Blazers incredible. are suspicious of the stars. The Blazers are suspicious of the yellow dry rubs. <laughs> what is this guy doing? But when, when he's delivering performances like that, he can wear what he likes. As they wear one <coughs> themselves. What? <laughs> 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 oh, we're going to get in trouble. Uh, Bordeaux versus La Rochelle. I don't think anybody in the world would have been that interested in this until what happened at the weekend. Like, oh, sorry, outside of France and outside of... It's, a, it's a, a local Atlantic derby. It's important, obviously, to you know, two story teams. But the rest of the world would have been kind of happy to go along their merry way and keep an eye on how, how their own teams are doing. But all of a sudden, everybody in Ireland's going, "What's going to happen here? Who's going to stand on the touchline?" Yeah, and everyone's watching to see the the future England head coach as well to see how he gets on. You know, so uh, that which was another just classic Ronan O'Gara, unbelievable moment you can't just put love and I know you, like, you have him on the show like all the time and you know it, it's just it must be magic from your point of view because you just don't know what he's going to give you but yeah like it's interesting I suppose the fact that they played last week it, like it, it's great because it gives it the narrative in terms of what happened but like if you look at even Rassing and Stad played last weekend as well and they're going to play each other now so three weeks in a row and I'm always disappointed when the Champions Cup throws up uh, ties this early in the knockout stages with teams from the same league like I'm disappointed like Leinster and Connacht are playing each other I like seeing teams from different leagues going up against each other so yeah like in that point like you always kind of look out for the Irish interests within the other teams so like you know you're looking at Mike Prendergast and how the racing attack is going you're looking at La Rochelle and how Raj is going um, and I think what's been interesting is with the influx of Irish players and coaches in France over the last couple of years Donica Ryan was the same at racing is They've really helped, I think, change certain French clubs' focus when it comes to the Champions Cup because Toulouse have always had it because they have the pedigree, they have the history, but teams like La Rochelle and Racing, less so. But Rogers obviously come into La Rochelle and said, no, like we, we're not sacking this off. So I think that's brilliant for the competition. They went so close last year. Uh, Racing is the Racing are the same. I think when Donica Ryan was there, he played a massive role in that, and now Mike Prendergast is doing the same. So it's brilliant for the competition. And like you said, um, Everyone is going to be watching to see if we're going to get round two between uh, O'Gara and Urias. It was, it was mad stuff, really, wasn't it? And you're kind of just still enjoying that. And then he comes out and tells TV that he would love to, he'd love to coach uh, England. So um, yeah, I can't imagine Rog England Ireland weeks covering covering that would be something else. He, like once we're up against Exeter this weekend, I see Austin Healy is saying that Rob Baxter not the man for for England uh, in his in his Telegraph column. So, so who, Rog who? in the box seat. Well, like there's, uh, they do have a few candidates, and Andy Farrell is certainly going to be in, the, like in in the mix up as well. Like obviously, depending on how he gets on at the World Cup with Ireland, and particularly maybe you know if he was to get a, a win over New Zealand this summer, you know, be the first Irish coach to do it would be incredible. So um, there'd be no shortage of suitors, but like for O'Gara to throw his hat in the ring like that was just so audacious and so classic. Him maybe might, might get another zero on his uh, La Rochelle contract, maybe. But um, yeah, I just got to love how he plays the game he's a master at it isn't he alright anything else we should be looking out for over the, the rest of those ties yeah I suppose like I mean like I mentioned Rassing there like you have Mike Prendergast and I think there's a bit of Irish there's always a bit of Irish in Bristol as well they're going up against Sale uh, they've had a really tough season and I think the the fact that there's no relegation in the Premiership this season has taken obviously the jeopardy out of it even you see Ealing Trailfinders winning the Championship last week and they don't get promoted so 
I think in ordinarily if it had been the case, Bristol are kind of languishing near the end of the table, so they might have had one eye on you know ensuring their survival. Whereas now they can actually have a crack at the Champions Cup. But for a team who've invested so heavily, like financially, you know, and have got in a bit of trouble for it, and given what was it, Pat Lamside signed like a five-year contract. Um, they've really fell short of expectations this season so there's plenty of Irish interest there with the likes of Nee Adi Loken, Brian Byrne um, John Muldoon so they're going up against Sale who have been rejuvenated I think under Alex Sanderson who's another guy who's been tipped as a potential replacement for Eddie Jones uh, so that'd be worth keeping an eye on as well so um, I suppose around round 16 it does throw up plenty of uh, good clashes and I think despite the fact I'm not a fan of the two legs I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out Alright Good stuff. Thanks for for that, Kian. Cheers, lads. Thanks for having me. Enjoy the rest of the, the Six Nations. We'll talk more about the Six Nations on our special Six Nations show later on this week. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.